Well, I think you know, maybe you've never really thought about it, but you know the United States, we, we're an award-giving country, aren't we? Have you ever thought about that? I don't know of another country that can keep pace with us. I mean, we know how to do awards. We've got the, the Grammys and the Emmys and the Oscars and the ESPYs. And of course, as big as those things are, they're not enough. I mean, I mean, you can't just award an actor in a movie one time. You've got to award him at least three times a year. And so to the Grammys, we have to add, uh, what is it, the Screen Actors Guild and, and the People's Choice we're going to award the same actors and the same movies every year at least three times. And, and, of course, music didn't want to get left behind. So, you know, they've got the Grammys, but then you have to add the VMA and the CMA. And I think there's about a half a dozen other MAs that you have to, to award for music also. And we do the same thing in sports. You've got the big ones, you know, the, the Heisman and the Cy Young and the MVPs. But, but we get in down into all levels of awarding and this comes down on through society into schools where man they just award everybody for everything and and pretty soon you're handing out participant awards have you ever gotten a participant awards my favorite award of all as a matter of fact i have right here that's my keys where is it well you know what it'd be in my office wonderful place for that to be right now if you could just imagine with me over here uh I really did have that with me. Uh, I got a participant award. And what, what, the reason I like this award so much, I got it for running the marathon uh, last year in Richmond. And uh, I didn't do anything special. I, I didn't win. And, and, of course, a lot of people in there would say, well, it's not about racing the thousands. It's a, it's a personal race and personal goals. Yeah, I, I didn't meet those either. Yeah, I, I didn't even come close. I, I, failed, I failed miserably, actually. I, I wanted to run a 3.30. I missed by like nine minutes. And, and when I crossed the finish line, Karen said, you look like you've been hit by a car. Yeah, that's, that sums it up. And then I get an award. I get an award for looking like I've been hit by a car and missing my goal by nine minutes. Nice little medal that says, I participated. Isn't that awesome? But you know, we kind of eat that up. You know why all this is happening? Because it, it meets our needs. I mean, people don't put money into things and do things that people aren't clamoring for. Makes you wonder, is that what heaven's like? Yeah, you know, we're going to be handing out awards in heaven. There'll be red carpets and trophy cases and plaques. And of course, if there's all that, you kind of wonder, will, will we be envious of each other? Because I mean, let's be honest, some of us are not going to have as many trophies as others. You're going to be in heaven thinking, well, golly dog. I didn't know we were giving out those. Man, look how tall that thing is. Well, will everybody in heaven get a participant award? Will you feel as excited about a participant award in heaven as you do on, on earth? Kind of makes you wonder. You know, when I talk about it like that, it sounds kind of silly. But folks, it really is, I think, how a lot of people live. As a matter of fact, I would go a step further and say religion almost inspires this in us. It almost inspires this sense of taking on the Olympics of righteousness and we're going to see what we can do to get these awards. And you know, when we're going after awards, we're going to kind of break up into different groups. You know, there's those of us that think, well, I'm pretty darn good. I should get an award and we're going to buckle down and we're going to work even harder. I mean, I might be up for an MVP. I might get some kind of championship. And then there's a lot in religion there's a lot, I think, that are actually very, very happy with the participant award. If I can just get on the field in heaven, that, that's good enough for me. I'll take the participant award. Then there are those, you ever seen this in, in sports or something? There are those who know they can't win, know they're not going to get an award, so they go the other direction. I don't care about that. 
I don't believe in that. I don't want anything to do with that anyway. They got to go completely the other way. You know what, folks? Salvation is not an award. It's It's not an award for our good behavior, our good acts, our good competitive spirit in religion. Heaven is not for humanity's MVPs. Heaven is not for humanity's MVPs. We're beginning a new section in our study of Romans today. If you want to turn there uh, to Romans chapter 3, we're taking on a new section that's going to carry us through the end of chapter 5. It's Romans 3.21 through chapter 5. And and if you were to write a title above this section, you write just jot. This is what this section is about. You could say, this is God's gift for me. God's gift for me. This is how you could entitle this section. Let's see what that gift is. What is God's gift? Notice I said gift, not award for you. Look at this. Romans chapter 3. After the Gospels and Acts. You'll find it there in your New Testament. Romans chapter 3. Beginning in verse 21. It says, but now apart from the law, God's righteousness has been revealed. Attested given testimony about by the law and the prophets. That is, God's righteousness through. Notice how many times we're going to see that word here in this section. Through. God's righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented him, that's Jesus, as a propitiation through, see that word, faith in his blood, to demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. He presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he, that's God, would be righteous and declare righteous so that God would be just and the justifier to the one who has faith in Jesus. Verse 27, where then is the boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By one of works? No, on the contrary, by a law of faith. For we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from works of law. Or is God for Jews only? Is He not also for the Gentiles? Yes, for Gentiles too. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith, and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then cancel the law through faith? Absolutely not. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Folks, God's gift for you is salvation. That's the gift, salvation. Now that's a word we use a lot in church, isn't it? We don't use it a lot out in society. You don't don't hear that word used a lot out there. But in church, we use it all the time. It just simply means rescue. deliverance. A lifeguard is a kind of savior. When the lifeguard dives into the water to rescue, to bring salvation to the one who's drowning. A fireman. A fireman is a kind of savior when they run into a, a burning building to bring salvation, to bring a rescue to its occupants. And of course, Jesus is the savior as he goes running into, as he dives into our sin, our death, and our hell to rescue us, to bring salvation to us. Now, the passage we just read is about that salvation. 
It, it is detailing the events. It's detailing the cost. It's detailing what went on in order for Jesus to be able to run in and rescue us. And I don't know if you notice, it's not an easy passage to read, is it? A lot of words in there that we don't use, it, it, phrases that don't necessarily link together very well for us in the English language. It's not, a, it's not an easy reading passage, but folks, it's pretty significant. <laughs> it's pretty significant to your life, to your well-being, to all of your eternity. Now what I want to do with this passage is I just want to pull out a couple of words I think I can piece it together with just a, a couple of words, uh, some key words here, and we'll kind of define those. The first two words aren't in the passage. The concept, the idea is in the passage, but, but the words themselves are. My first word is transfer. The first word I want you to understand about your salvation, about this gift, is that it's a transfer. And, and I use that word instead of the word through. Did you see how many times that's there? Folks, something is being transferred from God to you, and it travels through faith. Faith is how the transfer happens. And what's traveling is righteousness. Your opportunity, your ability to stand before God rightly. To stand before God and look forward to it. To stand before God and let heaven be the result of that. That is going to happen when righteousness goes from God. It travels through faith and lands on you. Righteousness is not produced within me. Righteousness does not come out from me and that's how I'm saved. Righteousness does not come out in the work of my hands or the work of my mouth and then that's how I'm saved. But rather it is transferred over to me. And for Paul, he wants us to be aware this isn't something new. It's not like God had a way of saving people, had a way of bringing them to righteousness, but that didn't work. And so now he's starting over and he's, he's trying to do this through Jesus. No, Paul says very clearly, this way I'm talking to you about, look there in verse 21, the law and the prophets gave testimony to this. We call the law and the prophets the Old Testament. They also talked about this transfer. As a matter of fact, let me just read one verse. There are hundreds of verses of like this in the Old Testament. Just one simple one, Isaiah 54, uh, at the end of verse 17. It says, this is the heritage, uh, this is the inheritance of the Lord's servants, and their righteousness is from me. Didn't say their righteousness was from how they kept the law. Their righteousness was in how good they were. No, their righteousness came from me. This is the Lord's declaration. So righteousness was a transfer in the Old Testament. It's a transfer in the New Testament. It's a transfer today. If you and I are going to stand rightly before God, it's not going to be because of something we do. It's going to be because of something that's been transferred to us. Second word I want you to see in verse 23 is the word target. Now you don't see the word target there, but it's what it's talking about. A target that you and I are to hit. And the problem is, folks, a lot of times we're shooting at the wrong target. You know, in the Olympics of righteousness, the target we're often shooting at in humanity is to be better than others. Now we'll say, you know what, I, I know I'm not the best. I know there's people better than me. Oh, I, I, know, I know I've done wrong. I know I'm not perfect. But, I'm better than a lot. And that, that ability to say, I'm better than a lot, is what gives us a sense of security, that we're okay. And once we get kind of secure in how okay we are, well then we think we're deserving. You know, I ought to get some kind of award, at least a participant award. 
But I'm hoping for something even a little bit better than that because I'm better than a lot. Now, we're kind of subjective in how we describe the word better and how we describe the word a lot. We kind of keep it a moving target so that no matter what, we can hit it. The only problem is that's not God's target. In in the Olympics of righteousness, that's not the target God set up and said, now hit this and you can get into heaven. God's target, you see it there in verse 23, is his perfect glory. The target that you and I are to be hitting every day of our life is his perfect glory. My goal in marriage should be to hit God's perfect glory. The target I should be seeking to hit with my finances is not just the ability to pay my bills at the end of the month. It should be to hit God's perfect glory. The target I'm aiming at in dealing with friends and enemies and everybody in between is God's perfect glory. Folks, in everything we're doing, everything we're thinking about, what's my goal in this moment? What's my goal in this event? It is to hit God's perfect glory. Guess what? We've missed, haven't we? We've missed. That's what the passage says. We have all, every one of us, not a person on the planet this is not true of, we have all fallen short. We've all missed the target. Now some... Some will step and say, well, yeah, but I, I didn't miss it by far. I don't even know where the target is, but I'm confident I didn't miss it by far. Or, or I didn't miss it a lot. Did, did you notice there's no standard by how close you have to get? There's no standard that says as long as you don't miss it this many times. Folks, it's irrelevant how many times or by how far. If you've missed the target, you've missed the target. Period. Heaven is not about target hitting. Heaven heaven is about God's gift giving. And that kind of leads to the next key word, that gift itself. And that's the word justification. Look at it there in verse 24. It says, they are justified freely by his grace. You should underline that. You should memorize it. You should look at yourself in the mirror and say, I have been justified by what a wonderful, good looking person I am. I have been justified by how good I am. Did you see what you did yesterday? You're just awesome. No, folks, you should look in the mirror and say, I have been justified freely by his grace. That word justified is a legal term. It simply means to declare not guilty. To be declared innocent. Have you ever been in trouble and then found out nobody's going to hold it against you? You ever been in trouble and then found out there's not going to be any consequences? It's like you were guilty, but you were declared not guilty. Have you ever been there? I have. You know what I do? I look to go under the radar at that point. And you know what I'm talking about? You don't want to look a gift horse in the mouth. You say, I'm not in trouble. Cool. I'm going to get out of here before you change your mind. You know, I don't want you to rethink this whole thing. I'm just going to be still and quiet and we're just going to go with this idea. I mean, it's a good thing to be told, hey, you're not in trouble anymore. But is that right? Because you see, folks, while God is giving us the opportunity to be declared not guilty, you do understand you are indeed guilty. Now, while I'm all for being declared not guilty, is that right? You know, we've all seen recently this year and, and, and over the years, we've seen these big high-profile cases, right? Right? And at least by the information the media is giving us, we are confident that person is guilty. I mean, how how would you not see that? My dog can see this person is guilty. But then what happens? 
the jury delivers the verdict, not, not guilty. And man, the media goes nuts. And, and we go nuts. We're incensed. We, we, we remember a case like that. I remember Karen and I talking about that. That young lady and her child, man, that's not, that's not right. Justice needs to be served. It's not right that she's being declared not guilty. Now, I'm all for me not being declared not guilty, but folks, there's, there's something wrong when we are indeed guilty and we're being declared not guilty. So how is that happening? As the, ver- as the way it's said here in verse 26, how is God both just doing what is right and just, but at the same time, the justifier. How can he be a right and good judge and at the same time declare you not guilty? Well, the way that happens is by another word. Now, you should have, let's see, you should have underlined or circled through, and that's our word transfer. And then in verse 23, uh, fall short. We've fallen short of the target. You want to underline and get that phrase. Verse 24, justified. You want to hold on to that word. And then the next word in verse 24, redemption. That's how this not guilty verdict is coming about. By redemption. Redemption is a term related to slavery. Maybe you remember in history, remembering this phrase, learning this phrase, indentured servant. That's where redemption applies. Redemption wasn't an issue where, and you know, there's that kind of slavery where you go and capture a group of people against their will, bring them over to your land, and then force them into slavery. That's not the kind of slavery we're talking about. This is a kind of slavery, just as bad, but where somebody got themselves deep in debt. And really, the only options they were looking at was starving to death, may not see the end of the week. Going to debtor's prison wasn't such a great opportunity or indentured servanthood. And, and in this process, people would go to somebody that, that was in this kind of business and they'd say, hey, would you pay off all my bills? And the person would say, yeah, I'll do that. And they would go to all that person's creditors, pay in full every single bill. And when that guy's done, man, I've got no bills. I've been paid in full. Now I'm a slave. And you would work for that person until you'd paid that debt off. The problem is it never quite worked out. Uh, somehow you just kind of remained in debt. And, and it was, it could be a very cruel slavery and, and you could be sold to another owner, somebody else. Maybe, the, maybe your owner needed to, to liquidate, maybe he needed to get some assets. And so he'd sell off those debts and somebody else would buy them and you'd be transferred. Maybe a member of your family would be transferred. Man, you're stuck now because of debt. You're stuck in this slavery. Unless you really didn't count on this. Unless a redeemer came. A redeemer might be one of these owners who would come up and say, hey, I will pay everything you've got wrapped up plus whatever profit you wanted on top of that. I will pay for that slave. And so I would pay it off and now I own that slave, but I didn't pay those debts so that I could own that slave. I paid those debts so I could free that slave. That's redemption. That's what it's talking about right here. Folks, you and I have run up. And I, I don't know the adjectives to make us understand this. Because I don't think we get it. I don't think I get it. And I'm the one up here explaining it. We have run up an offensive debt. We have run up a criminal-like debt. This is not an issue of you've fallen behind in your payments. This is not an issue of you can't keep up with the interest. You've got a debt you will never pay in your lifetime. 
This is the debt Jesus comes and buys you out of. This is the debt that Jesus pays in full. This is why God can declare you no longer guilty. Your debts have been paid in full. Folks, you know what? I, I, if you've been in church any amount of time, you've heard the word redemption. You've heard the word redeemer. As a matter of fact, we sing songs about our redeemer, don't we? And now you know what that word means. But even if you understood it, I understood it. I believe that. Praise God for it. I don't think we ever fully grasp. Go to church every Sunday the rest of your life. I don't think we ever fully grasp the depth of our debt. And I don't think we ever fully grasp what it means that God came and paid that off. That God came and redeemed us out of that. I think if we fully grasp that, folks, there'd be a smile on our face and gratitude in our heart for the rest of our lives if not another good thing happened to us. Now, I don't know about you, I'd like some more good things to happen to me before I die. You probably like some more good things to happen to you. And those good things, they kind of affect our mood, don't they? I tell you something, if you genuinely understand redemption, I don't think your mood could ever be touched again. The gratitude to be declared not guilty. The, the gratitude to be declared all debts paid. Uh, these verses that we're looking at, Paul, uh, Chuck Swindoll in his commentary, Insights on Roman, great commentary, highly recommended. I've used it a lot. Uh, in my study of, of, of Romans and in this series, he's writing on these verses and, and, and he writes some really well explained. So I thought I'd just read you the whole paragraph. Let's look at that here on the screen. When Adam sinned, he reaped the consequences of sin, which is death. He instantly died spiritually at that moment and his body began its decaying march toward the grave. And the same is true of us. The penalty of our sin has become our overwhelming debt in the court of heaven. We stand before a judge whose wrath against sin must be satisfied. God is love, but his is not a pathetic love that stands idly by while evil consumes his creation. His holy nature burns against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. It demands justice. And the only just penalty for sin is death. Not only the physical end of life, but separation from God in eternity. You know, folks, when we look at these words, redemption, salvation, justification, all by themselves, they're an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing to think that somebody would give this kind of gift. But we're not talking about neutral parties here. I mean, think about it. Most of your gift giving is done to somebody a lot like you, right? Most of your gift giving is given to somebody who loves you and, and you've given them gifts so they're in some way restoring and, or giving another gift. But folks, when God gives us a gift, this is not a neutral situation. The gift is amazing if it's neutral. But the one who gives us these gifts has a righteous, a just anger at you. This person has a righteous wrath against you. And it's just. He's right and he is holy and he is good in holding that anger against you and against me. And that's why this last word is so important. You see this word in verse 25, the word propitiation. Propitiation. We don't use that word a lot. Do I don't matter of fact, I don't think we use that word at all. 
I, I don't know where in the English language in regular reading you're going to see that word other than maybe in an, in an English Bible. The word simply means satisfaction. It means, folks, that because of Christ, what He endured on the cross for you, God's wrath, God's anger has been satisfied. Because of the payment that Jesus made on the cross for you, your debt has been satisfied. And folks, because that debt, because God is satisfied in how that debt has been paid, that is your opportunity to stand rightly before God. Do you see why now salvation is such an incredible gift? Folks, all, all of this is adding up to say this. Heaven is not about us and our awards. You know, God's going to give us rewards. Isn't that incredible? Because it's like we've done nothing. And yet there will be rewards. But heaven's not about Randy Hahn. Heaven's not about the great job Randy Hahn did. Hey, I want everybody to stop for just a moment. Let's look and just pause for a moment on how great Randy Hahn did. He's an MVP. Yay! Y'all aren't clapping with me. Well, you will. No, folks, you know what? It's not about the end. You know what heaven's about? Heaven's about God. Heaven is about God and what God has done. And, and that's why Paul says there, is, is there going to be boasting? Really? I mean, we're, we're going to parade the works, the glory, the power, and the majesty of God before humanity in heaven. And, and then I'm going to say, well, that's cool, but did you see what I did? I mean, come on, I went to church four Sundays in a row. That's got to be worth something. I mean, that's a whole month. Folks, in the light of God's glory, we're not going to pause and say, hey, whoa, whoa, put the light on me for a moment. Hey, hey, somebody come over here and check this out. Heaven is about God. And our opportunity to be there and to see that and be a part of it is a gift an amazing thing that you and I can stand before God and he is satisfied that our debt has been paid is he the justifier absolutely is he just absolutely when God forgives you when God forgives me it's not because he says oh you did your best oh I didn't really mean those rules anyway oh, yeah, I don't know why I gave those rules nobody can keep them you got, you got most of them that's not just, and that's not right. When God forgives, when He declares you justified, it's because Christ has satisfied. What an incredible gift. How do we understand this gift and not receive it? But I got a bigger question. How do we receive that gift? And many of us in here have, haven't we? How do we receive that gift and return to the same sin that ran up the debt? How do we enjoy such a gift and then go back to that which it cost? How do we respond to a gift like this? Let me give you three more words real quickly. Belief. That's not just a good idea, that's actually the Bible's command. 
When the gift is presented, the Bible commands, Jesus commands, believe. Now, believing here is not just giving a mental acknowledgement. Okay, uh, I think I got this. I'm, I'm supposed to believe in, in, in justification and redemption and, and, uh, and propitiation. I hope I don't have to spell that word to get into heaven. Okay, yeah, I believe in... Th- Folks, it's not just mentally acknowledging. Belief here is where you sink your whole life into something. That, that is my faith, that is my confidence, that is my hope, that is my joy, that is my security. I, everything is riding on the gift. My life is that gift. I believe with everything I am and have in that gift. You believe. And you love. Don't you love? Can you be loved like that and not respond in love? Yeah, it's a love relationship. And of course, if we're going to say love, then we have to add the word obey. Because Jesus said, if you love God, you'll obey God. If you're obeying God, then you're loving God. Have you noticed we separate that? It is quite possible in American Christianity to come in here and say, I believe in Jesus. I love Jesus. I'll sing some songs about him and and we'll talk about him. But then when I go back out of here, I'll live a life that doesn't always have a very tight connection to what I just said I loved and believed. We don't really require obedience to be attached to love. That's so, so legalistic. You know what? I, we should never get over that. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. Believe, love, and obey. These three words are not an attempt to repay the gift. These three words represent the worthiness of the gift. It's the only worthy way to respond to such an incredible gift. How are you responding? In here. Out there. Let's pray. Father, thank you seems so trite. We can define these words. We can try to get a picture of them. Lord, many of us in this room, as I said a moment ago, we, we've been in church for, for maybe a long time. We're used to hearing these words. We're used to hearing these concepts. And it makes us feel good. And we say, thank you, Jesus. Lord, I don't know that we ever fully comprehend. But I, I pray you would help us to do just that. Help me to understand more and more and more what it means that Jesus purchased all my debts. That the wrath and the anger and the judgment that should have fallen on me, Jesus stepped in front of me. He let it fall on Him. Your wrath, your anger was satisfied. Justice was done. I just get to hide behind Him. I have the opportunity to be declared not guilty. Before the living God. What a gift. God, could I understand it more and more. And may I respond appropriately to it more and more. Every day of my life. Thank you for forgiving. For justifying. For redeeming. 
Would you help me now, Holy Spirit? Guide me in what belief looks like, what love looks like, what obedience looks like. I want to live in a way that's worthy of this great gift that's been given, Jesus. Help me. Help us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.